You're listening to the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, Episode 29. Ivo Norenberg has been working as a long-lens wildlife camera operator for over 20 years. He has a lifelong passion for wild places and has filmed in over 20 countries across the globe. From minus 40 degrees centigrade in Siberia and the high Canadian Arctic to plus 45 degrees centigrade in arid landscapes of India and Africa to the damp and humid tropical jungles of West Africa and South America. He specializes in long lens camera work, but also has experience with gyro stabilized camera systems, thermal cameras, motion controlled systems, sliders, remote cameras, and time lapse, as well as multiple drones. He likes to build custom camera equipment to achieve unique perspectives and make the impossible pictures possible. Ivo was a producer and camera operator for Gulo Film Productions from 2004 to 2020. His films include The Lost Kings of Bioko, White Wolves, Ghosts of the Arctic, America's National Parks, Yellowstone, The Real Jungle Book Bear, Nordic Wild, Viking Wilderness, Wild Scandinavia, Wild Russia, Primeval Valleys, and Wolverines, Hyenas of the North. Ivo has also filmed sequences for multiple productions, including Russia in the Realm of Tigers, Bears and Volcanoes, Frozen Planet, Monkey Kingdom, Dynasties 2, and Perfect Planet. Hi Ivo, thank you so much for taking the time out to be on the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast. Uh, pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thank you. It's really a pleasure and a big honor to, to be here. <laughs> So I want to start off, as always, Ivo, by just finding out a little bit about how you got into the filmmaking industry. Uh, my dream to be a wildlife cameraman is since, I don't know, fifth class or so, really, really early, I was already sure I want to become a wildlife filmmaker. Uh, especially if we had one German wildlife filmmaker, kind of couple, other two men, and, and you could also see them in their films behind the, the camera. And that was always very funny. And, and no, yeah, so you, you got a feeling how life can be in the field. Uh, so that was a very early thought that, okay, I want to do the same. <laughs> so how did you pursue that career, knowing that you wanted to be a wildlife camera person? How did you pursue that career from then on? I mean... I mean, I started when I'm now since you know, over 20 years in the business. And when I started, there was almost no internet, no email, no websites. It was it, it was really tricky. Finally, after school, I couldn't really find a way in wildlife film business. So I, um, oh, I learned to be a commercial uh, photographer. Was, that was much easier i thought at least this is something with cameras and i did it for um altogether six years i worked and as a uh, no, at first as an assistant then as a uh, still photographer and I, I i always try to get one foot into wildlife film business um but it's yeah i 
I, I made some phone call, but they all said, oh, I don't need someone. And, and it was always no, 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 no. And then after four years, I was a bit bored with photography, as especially you know, with this uh, uh, commercial photography. So I started to, uh, 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 so uh, traineeship um, in uh, uh, feature films, and so I did this for two years. I know we're working as a second and first camera assistant for for feature films, and I but but I still I was because the one wildlife filmmaker he said to me, "Okay, call me next year." And really, over six years, I called the same guy. And then really after six years, said, yeah, I don't have a job, but I know a friend who needs one. Um, so I called him and then really I got an uh, as assistant uh, with Rudolf Lammers. I could go for ZDF to Namibia and work as an assistant for six weeks in the Etoshapan and had my first ex experience. It's amazing how perseverance and patience pays off in this industry. I mean, even when you're established, you still need to have perseverance and patience. And going right back to your beginning, it would have been so easy for you to have just thought, you know, nothing's going to come of it. You know, you, you, you contact people, they don't have anything for you. Um, but waiting that time and then persevering, contacting them again, and being in a place where, you know, you're, you're just plugging away at it because you know that's what you want to do. And it pays off. It pays off because, you know, although they didn't have a job for you, someone else did. And I think, you know, I tell everyone all the time, perseverance and patience, it's the key to this industry. Yeah, this is really the key thing also later in work, kind of ne never give up, ne always ne try and try and ne be, be persisting. It's, that's that, That's really the key thing also no, this yeah you have to believe in yourself and you have to know what you want and uh, never give up <laughs> so with that first job did that open up any doors into the industry for you what what kind of happened next yes it opened more doors but then it was still tricky because after the job we said oh now i don't need anyone anymore and then i called the first uh, wider filmmaker, I called him again, and then was it a year later or so? He said, "I still have no job for you, but again, I know another person <laughs> who needs a cameraman." Well, they were no, I don't know, they had I don't know, too uh, too many jobs, and they urgently needed a cameraman for a film, and they 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 just had no one available, so. They had to kind of <laughs> so um, the cameraman. No, I I met him. I told him a bit what I've done. Showed showed him. Uh, as I, I I already made a lot of uh, wildlife pictures. No stills. So at least I could show that I know something about wildlife. No, I know how to get close. I showed him some short films, but no, feature short films I made. So he knows. Okay, I know some basic about uh, filmmaking. And then he gave me his 100,000 euro film equipment, said, here, um, just shoot something for one weekend. 
course, I want to see if you can pan and frame and no, and and yeah. So I took his. Then he just gave it to me. I mean, we never met uh, before. Just gave me his one hundred thousand euro camera kit. I was just filming some ducks and 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 pigeons and whatever. No, he just wants a T-shirt. It doesn't matter what. Just show me that you know how to use the camera. So I did it. He watched it. Said, "Okay, well, that looks that looks all fine." And then he sent me to three months to Norway, and I got my first chance to prove as a cameraman. That's amazing that someone would just hand you all of their gear and and to you know have you go off and see what you can do. It's incredible. Um, you mentioned that you had been working with in feature film, and I, I'm interested in how you feel that helped you with your craft because I've done a lot of commercial work throughout my time behind a camera. And I tell people that it's, you know, if you're, if you're struggling to find work in the filmmaking and in the wildlife filmmaking industry, then it's far better to be using your camera and doing other work than it is to say, go off and do another job entirely, because it can just give you so much experience with your gear, learning to use your gear. So everything becomes intuitive. So when you're in front of wildlife and behaviors happening, you know where everything is, you know how to use that camera without having to stop and look for buttons and things like that. So for me, it feels very uh, much worthwhile because you just get used to your gear, plus just learning composition, framing, simple things, interviewing. It can all help. So how did working in the feature film industry help with your craft? Yeah, I th and, and both really definitely helped me in the future. The, in my still photography time, I definitely learned finally everything I have to know about colors, about framing, uh, no? how, 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 how to make a good looking picture. And in my feature film time, I learned something about no, no, how, how to build up a story. So both was very helpful and all about wildlife. I just teach myself and I was very early, I was in a, uh, what a conservation group. So with other young people, you know, we tried to save birds and whatever, digging ponds for frogs and all this stuff. So I learned all about wildlife there and just you know, reading books and, and, and yeah, try to teach myself everything about life. And of course, also watch every wildlife movie I could I could get. And of course, it's so unbelievably important to, to research animal behavior, spend time around wildlife, like you said, uh, being in conservation groups or, uh, you know, however it is, reading books, learning about the wildlife. It's more important than the camera uh, angle, you know, learning your camera gear. I tell people all the time, if you can learn about animal behavior and then pick up a camera, you'll pick up. Uh, how to use a camera in your gear so much more quickly than you will learning about wildlife behavior. And you can see that with your film, White Wolves, you know, obviously integrating yourselves with that pack of wolves like you did. You can see that you obviously, you know, you, you understand behavior to be that close to them in the first place. Yeah, the behavior, no, watching behavior is really is really uh, critical. No, we have been uh, made three trips altogether, five months with the wolves in the Arctic, and really, yeah, watching carefully the behavior. This crucial thing, and no, you are learning every day. No, you are learning more and more, and and and. But of course, 
all animals kind of ne, basically behave the same. But again, ne, there are, of course, with every species, there are differences, especially at the wolf pack. Every in individual of a wolf pack behaves different, has his own character. And, ne, and it was so interesting to learn about the different characters in the wolf pack. It was really because especially as ne, the wolves in the Arctic, they have almost ne, they are almost not shy of humans, so you can really sit there openly, because from a distance still, but watch the behavior was yeah, was really uh, definitely my most special time with wildlife. Yeah, have been the wolves. <laughs> And it looked like an incredible experience. I mean, you can tell just watching white wolves that, you know, how close you were to that pack. And then, of course, there's the behind the scenes that show how close and integrated you were with that pack. Um, and it brings up the question, what, what would you say throughout your career has been the most incredible experience that you've had? It is still my very, very first own film I made with Oliver Götze. It is. Um, we made a film about about wolverines, and because uh, it's kind of a little bit a sad story. No? As I told you, I worked for. I got this first chance as a cameraman and worked in Norway, and then we got another job. And unfortunately, um, he got very very ill, and finally he died on cancer. This really nice man. And so then at, at, at this point we were, I was standing there and <laughs> the man, the only man who gave me a job was dying. I was still kind of a nobody in the business. And then, yeah, what to do? No, not there. And then uh, no, I, yeah, uh, no, my, my, my ex-film partner, no, Oliver V, um, the, yeah, we thought, hey, but no, we want to make. No, he was assisting me on the first job, and and then uh, with okay, now we have to make our own film. Um, so then we were looking for a topic, and we found the story about a crazy Finnish wildlife still photographer working for many years just with almost just with wolverines, and we wrote to him, and then said, yeah. She said, okay, we work together. And when we approached NDR, and at that time, I mean, it's still, it's kind of impossible to film Wolverines. Yeah, as only, yeah. Um, and, 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 and because, yeah, and finally we got the job. Later on, the, the chief editor, he told us that he asked some the well-known Weidler filmmakers, is it possible to make a film about Wolverine? They all said, no, it's not impossible. And uh, it's, uh, we would never do it. And But he still gave this this two newcomer a, a job. We bought, no, that was the first time no, we had to to, make, uh, to shoot an HD at, at that time. Yeah, so we bought film equipment and yeah, we just had a try, had a go. <laughs> And wolverines are still super fantastic animals. They are very, very special character. They look amazing. Yeah, and, and really, really uh, fascinating. So this is still, and, 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 and very, very funny because on in in ne, on this Norway uh, shoe where I worked first, now we were filming uh, musk ox. 
with some cups and suddenly uh, 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 Wolverine was coming, running over a hill, running through kind of in the middle through the mass oxer. And yeah, I said, hey, there's a Wolverine. We have to make, someday we have to make a film about Wolverines. And then finally, yeah, and then we got the Newcomer Award in Jackson Hole for the Wolverine film, nominated on widescreen with the first film. So that was really, ne, that that really opened doors. I mean, so, that's incredible. Your your first film that you actually took on yourself to make and you won Newcomer Award, which in itself is incredible. But not just that, the fact that you were filming uh, Wolverines, which have to be one of the right, hardest yeah. animals to, fil- to find, let alone film. So, you know, how did you do that with your first film? How did you locate Wolverines well enough to make an entire show about them? Um, we went to Finland. We met this guy. He set us in his height. First day we saw Wolverine. <laughs> he knows, as a, he was working with two families uh, or two females, and he just, he knows or knew he he knew his Wolverine so good. He knows the Yeah, for him it was yeah. And I know, you know, filming that type of wildlife, it's almost impossible to film uh, all of, you know, all of the aspects of a story uh, actually being there and filming from your tripod. So I'm assuming you used uh, remote cameras for this. And I know you like, you know, you, I've, I've read that you you do a lot with your camera gear, you customize a lot of your gear. So you know, what kinds of things do you find that you have to do to be able to get the shots? I know, you know, I use um, A7S's a lot, low light cameras, build camera traps with them. The biggest problem I find is, is, you know, with remote cameras, most of the time you're either leaving them running and you're not far away, you know, so you can control them. Uh, But one of the biggest problems with that is that there's really nothing made that gives you any kind of long range to be able to operate the camera from a distance. or, you know, there are things like cam traptions, which you can put out there and they're triggered as an animal goes by. But tell us a little bit about some of the customizations of your rigs that you've had to do to get the uh, the shots that you've managed to get. Yeah, I, I really almost customize everything. I'm never really 100% happy with, with the gear you can buy. Uh, so really, every, Everything. I mean, uh, the, the one thing is, I'm building um, little uh, um, remote cameras. Now you can remote control from some distance you know, with panning, video, zoom, record, everything. Um, but uh, for, for example, I'm forever was building on my panning head you know, for the big lenses. You know, the the zoom demand. I I I changed the switches. I made. The grip that, that that it has more grip, or sh- change screws that they were more nicely, or change cables who are more flexible in cold conditions, or I change the eyepiece, or it's tried to get something lighter. No, no, my I was building my own mat box, which is much lighter than everyone you can buy. Or I was developing a camera bag over many, many years, many versions. Now I have really some 
some colleagues now who said, oh, I want to have the same camera bag, so I already <laughs> kind of, yeah, sold a few of these camera bags because the, the, the problem is you can't buy a camera bag which is big enough for our big camera setups. They are made for yeah, normal small cameras. Um, so there is no... no weatherproof camera bag where you can fit in an Ari camera with a CN20. You just can't buy one. Um, yeah, so Aria, I really often tiny things or I was building a little joystick remote for my uh, for my Ari camera. So I can, you know, with my left focus hand, I have a little joystick and with a joystick I can switch a sign buttons from uh, uh, from the camera which is uh, fantastic because I can switch my uh, my camera speed with one finger without moving my hands uh, uh, somewhere no I, I often change speed a lot no whatever no shoot it with 30 28 40 frames uh, whatever and it's yeah so uh, uh, convenient I feel yeah. Is it camera specific? So are you building the remote camera systems for a specific camera or is it something you can use on, on any type of camera? Um, it's not depending on, 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 uh, the camera. I was, uh, it is, it is just working with a Sony Lang uh, protocol. So it, it is working within, within Z cam, but it's also working within uh, FX six or whatever. So I'm a bit flexible, no? uh, but it's, yeah, but it's really, it's it's very difficult to build a reliable remote. No, of course, the cameras nowadays, they all have Wi-Fi control, but they work in an open environment for 20 meters, which is no, not long enough. It has to work on 100 meters and then 100 meters in a, in a forest or the camera is in, in a cave or something no one of the normal remote systems work really in the forest. No? It's, so, uh, no, I, I, of course, in the beginning, I was no, buying ready-made, but they were all not reliable enough. Now, that customization brings us on perfectly to this next question about the CN20 lens. Now, this is, um, you know, I, I find a remarkable story that you... Uh, basically, I don't want to tell the story, I'll let you do that. But basically, you know, there was a, 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 a gap in the market, if you like, for a lens that would do what wildlife photographers and videographers rather needed uh, to be able to capture behavior from a distance. And, um, and so you approached, you had an idea in your head and you approached manufacturers to, uh, to get the CN20, the 50 to 1000 millimeter wildlife Canon wildlife uh, filmmaking lens made. Can you tell us a little about it? Because there's, there's really nothing else like it, right? It is the go-to lens because it has that range from 50 to 1,000 millimeter. Can you just tell us how the whole thing came about, about how you got Canon <laughs> to actually produce this lens? Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, before no, we worked with, with, with two-third inch uh, uh, cameras and of course you had already you know, these 36 42 times lenses but then 
Ari came up with the, with the first Alexa camera and then with the red one at, at the same time. And of course, the dynamic range was so much better than with all these two third inch cameras. So at some point, we have to work with these cameras. The, the image just is like, it is cinema and it's not, it's not TV anymore. But of course, yeah, there was this big lens problem. The IBE was building this adapter. So at first we started to work with the two third inch lenses at adapted to the Alexa camera, but of course it's not satisfying. You're losing quality, you're losing light. Uh, yeah, that definitely made me not happy. And um, yeah, um, I was already working with Ari, um, uh, so beta testing for them, working on the software. So I already had some experience with, with, with yeah, working together with companies. Um, but it's something else to approach a Japanese company. No, they are a bit more no, secret. No, yeah, uh, they are a bit different. Um, yeah, but uh, I um, I contacted the kind of German uh, product manager and told him that no, we need a proper wildlife film lens. In, but for super super thirty five and and he said yeah that sounds interesting I will speak uh, uh, to my colleague and yeah funny enough um, he said yeah yeah um, no, uh, I I can arrange uh, uh, contact and then no we meet in uh, in Amsterdam no, the um, no, on the big messe. Um, oh, uh, fair, um, and uh, then we I had a meeting with the European head uh, no, product manager from Canon, and I told him that you know, we need a long lens. I said, yeah, interesting, interesting, and then uh, then he just said, yeah, no, let's be in contact, also let's stay in contact, and then I and then yeah, I, I had. Okay, maybe it's worth to dig a bit deeper into it. And then I really made research. I was really thinking about it a lot, and I was also contacting a lot of um, colleagues, Germany, but also a lot of BBC colleagues. I just sent them emails you know, to, um, yeah, uh, and just asked them, hey. What do you need? No, whatever Gavin says or whoever just 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 wrote him. I didn't know him. I just know he is famous. <laughs> just wrote him an email and and a lot of other no, no, very Britain and and asked him, hey, what is what is important for you? What do you think is good focal lengths? No, wait and, and so I was really asked you know, 10, 15 colleagues, and I was. Yeah, really thinking. What do you need? And what it was I? I think the key thing. I try to be realistic with my wishes because, of course, if you ask someone, they all say, "Oh, make it from the no, wide angle to the super teal and super light, but uh, no, super light sensitive, but no weight." And of course, no, you can't build the lens, and then and, and then and then it has to be very very cheap. So, and I really try to be realistic. 
and I was no, I also no. Then and then I wrote down my my specs, and I was very very uh, precise. No, the zoom range, the lens diameter, the length of the lens itself, the weight, the light, no, no, the f stop where, no, no, where um, yeah every ring has to another uh, where the focus ring has to be and and i really described the lens very precise and then he said oh yeah that's interesting and then the then the hank was it uh, at, at that time then he flew uh, uh he was he was based in london and then he flew to hamburg uh to meet me we had dinner together i told him everything i said yeah uh, i will speak to my boss in japan and then he spoke to him. No, then we were discussing a bit. I changed some parameters a, a, a few times of the specs. And they said, yeah, uh, my boss wants to meet you. Yeah, and then one year later, I had a meeting uh, with really with, with the big bosses from Canon CineLens, Broadcast Lens. So I was really meeting the boss of the whole scene, the broadcast lens, uh, and some other guys. I was meeting you know, some the lens designer and the designer you know, for the housing, and 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 yeah, and we discussed about my specs. And um, yeah, nice man. In the evening, we had dinner together. Went to a strange beer house, and <laughs> it was it. It was really nice, and it was really it, it all was a really a personal relationship uh, uh, started. It was really a good time. So we were every now and then uh, changed emails, had a phone call, um, discussed, and then I think it was another year later, again in Amsterdam, they presented me the lens, <laughs> the first prototype of it. I mean, it's amazing that you were able to get such a, you know, a large manufacturer to take note that there was a need for this, especially as they're extremely expensive. I mean, that's $70,000 to buy. So it's not like there's a massive market for these, but for them to take note enough to say, hey, there, there is this gap in the market. You guys need them as wildlife cinematographers. It's incredible that, um, you know, that it came about. So was it as simple as them um, being able just to build it to your spec or was there, were there issues along the way? I mean, did they ever come back to you and say, you know, no, we can't do this. No, we can't do that. It's going to have to be this, not that. Or was it just simply a case that they could do it? Yeah. And, and really on the way, coming there, they, they asked me, I think a few times, is 4K quality really important eh? because they said hey we are struggling to build this lens is it no wouldn't it be enough to just have 2k quality and i said no just i just said we need 4k quality just just try harder and then as i said yeah we can't accept eh? and i will also one yeah, thing i said the, the lens has to be short what was also a very tricky part for them as i think the 4K quality, the zoom range, and yeah, and this this short lens was really tricky for them. And afterwards, they said this was the most tricky, complicated lens they have ever built. 
And of course, now it is the most widely used wildlife uh, filmmakers lens. I mean, if you look at any of the behind the scenes of any of the big blue chip landmark series, uh, you'll see uh, a CN20 attached to any of the cameras out there filming that footage. So, uh, you know, it's an incredible lens and not only because it's a uh, 50 to a thousand millimeter, but I believe it also has a, an extender on there built into it. So you can extend it um, two times or, or, or something like that. So it's, um, you know, it, it's, it, it has really opened up the world for us filmmakers today to be able to have a lens like that to use with these incredible cameras today. Yeah, I, I have to say what you ju just mentioned, the, the extender. At this time, every broadcast lens had a two-time extender. And I was the first time I said, hey, every two-time extender I have ever seen, I was not happy with the quality. So if it's maybe physically, technically not possible to build a good two-time extender, build a 1.5. And this was really something unique at that time to have a 1.5 extender in a lens. So that was also something it really ne, never happened before. Um, yeah, uh, uh, on the other hand, of course, um, finally, the lens does the same what we had earlier with the two-third no, big zoom lenses. <laughs> it's not really it's not really that there is something new it's just we have our old convertible zoom lenses back from the true search inch cameras but what is amazing mind and the lens is is not so much bigger than these old 42 time lenses no? it's, but but it is much more heavy no? it's unfortunately what is also in, interesting um they really fulfilled I really 90% of my wishes, what I have never expected. And really, my lengths, my diameters, it was really almost on the millimeter exactly what I told them. What was what was really cool. The only thing they had to, uh, to make the lens half an f-stop darker than I want, but it was just technically ne, not possible. Also physically, ne, if you have this front diameter and this focal length, the, there are there are limits no so and 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 it became a little bit more heavy so uh the lens as a the lens without um the motor has the weight i wanted but of course you need a zoom motor and yeah what what was also funny um uh, they had the kind of project code name later on was the Evo's, Evo Sun lens. <laughs> what was very funny, they uh, told me one day that internally at, at Canon, they, they didn't speak about the CN20, they told about the Evo Sun lens. <laughs> what was, uh, what, what I found very nice. Uh, they so should have kept it called the Evo Sun lens. That would have been fantastic. So much better than the CN20. So obviously you own one of these lenses and you've been using it for a long, long time. How does it live up to your expectations of the lens? I mean, most lenses, whether they're stills or, or cinematography lenses, you know, have sweet spots. They've got those areas that you find in them that are super crisp, you know, much nicer. They've got some soft spots. 
how does this lens compare? Is it super crisp all the way through or does it have its limitations? I am very, very happy with the lens. It is definitely an improvement to the no, Fuji non-Canon no, 36-42 lenses. But of course, there are some weak spots in the zoom range, of course. But no, you can live with it. No? You just know, okay, if I have really hard backlight, no, then I try to avoid maybe certain no, focal lengths. But altogether, I'm really happy from the very long end to the wide open. Altogether, I'm I'm really happy also in, in, in harsh backlight. It performs really very well. But of course, no, there are limits. I mean, it's just in CN20 in with nine kilograms, I think. Uh, of course, I spoke to them. Oh, okay, no, but that's okay. If we really make it better, then it it would be much bigger because the diameter has to be much bigger and therefore much more heavy. Um, so, for the weight, for the for the size, I'm I'm really really happy with the lens. And of course, every bit of kit has its limitations one way or another. But, um, you know, just an incredible story that you were able to, to, to get Canon to, to make this lens. It's, uh, it's amazing. So let's move on to some of your recent projects. Now, I know uh, you filmed recently uh, for the episode The Sun on Perfect Planet. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were filming for that episode? Uh, I was working on the Snow Geese Polar Fox uh, uh, sequence. So I was uh, for for six weeks in the high Arctic, in really nowhere in the ne, in, in in northern Canada. In the in I think it's the biggest snow geese colony in the whole world. I think it's about one million snow geese in fifty uh, uh, kilometers. It's it's an amazing place. No, you have to be dropped by a helicopter. And then he picks you up six weeks later. And what is amazing? I mean, snow geese are, I like them a lot. And of course, I mean, everyone like polar foxes. And they look so nice and they are not really, not, not, not too shy of humans. And it is one of the last wilderness on earth. It is, it, I love this feeling. You are out there, you are looking 360. And you see just wild, as it just nature. No? Is there's no house, no power line, or no whatever. No, no tower, nothing, no car, no road. And you and and you know you can walk for a week straight, and you will still not not meet any road or whatever. It's just wilderness. No? And this is and this is what I really like and why I'm. I'm yeah want to be a wildlife filmmaker and no? to be in these wild places. Yeah, it's an incredible experience being in those polar regions where, as you say, you can just see for miles. And I found the time that I spent in uh, you know near the Arctic, I one of the biggest things that was really noticeable other than the fact that there's you know you can see for miles is also the sound how quiet it is because there's literally you're getting no noise from any city nearby or traffic or planes 
it's almost like dead airspace. And I found that um, incredible when I was out there. But also just, you know, it is the fact it's not for everyone. I mean, it is highly remote. <laughs> so you've got you've to be able to enjoy that kind of place uh, to spend any time out there. I mean, if you were in a Snogies colony, you will always hear Snogies. Day and night. There's only a very short time between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. in the morning where it's a bit more silent. But all the time, there, there is this... Blah, 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 blah. But I, I like it a lot. <laughs> of course, life is simple. Ne? Of course, you have no hotel there. Ne? It's ne? sleeping bags. Ne? Ne? You have very simple wooden... Uh, ne? little cabin uh there was no heating in the no, bedroom or so of course it's simple life but i like it and i know one of the creatures you spent a lot of time filming also are arctic foxes in those polar regions and um you've you've filmed some amazing shots of them jumping and nose diving into the snow to get their quarry how long does it take you to get that kind of behavior on camera i mean are you literally following them and sitting with them for days because they're obviously not doing that all the time they're just feeding at certain times and then once you do film them you know jumping in the air and, and head diving into the snow are they catching uh, their food every time are they getting their prey every time they go down or is it um not that simple i filmed it for the wolf film but uh, we started in early june There is still a little snow cover still in in early June uh, in, 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 in in the Arctic, but um, not enough. No? So uh, no, we don't. We have not, or we couldn't. As we have never seen this, but I filmed it uh, in yellow. Now, as in Yellowstone with red foxes and and um, on Elsmere with the polar foxes. I I would. My feeling is they get one out of three maybe they get they catch one they are they are they are they are really good i mean uh, the, the the problem in the winter time is uh to follow them no? when snow is so deep and you have snowshoes or a ski do and and they are fast no? they are they are traveling really fast in winter or in summer either way they are traveling fast and to follow them in winter is really difficult so it's more the problem to be close enough when they do a jump um and to be no i mean following them and to have the camera ready no this is two two different things uh so this is yeah the, the always no to be at the right time at the right spot That's the thing. Of course. And that's one of the things about wildlife filmmaking, right? Being in the right place at the right time. It's uh, essential most of the time. Now, if you had one piece of advice to offer up to aspiring wildlife filmmakers, or mo more than one piece of advice, if you like, and what would that be? Definitely more than one. <laughs> no, man, you have to be a, a multi-talent. So it, it is very good to have some uh, backcountry, backpacking experience. So uh, you are familiar with being outdoors. It's definitely important to be happy in every weather condition outside. Because if you are outside, you can be sure you are sweating, you are freezing, there are mosquitoes biting you, ants biting you, leeches 
ne, wanting your blood or whatever. There's always something. It's never perfect. It's always too hot or too cold or too itchy or too sweaty or something. So you have to be really relaxed with every situation out there. Ne? If you are not happy with whatever will come to you, ne? some ne, when they, man, of course, I get also emails and, and, and phone calls and yeah, some dream only of this ne? in Africa, going around with a car and ne? easy life. There are also jobs like this, but for sure not every job is like this. So this is very important. Um, going out, get experience with, you know, watch wildlife, you know? uh, see if you are happy to sit there for hours and watching wildlife. That's important. Um, also take a camera doesn't have to be a good camera just any no, little camera with a bit longer lens and, and just try to get some footage um, it can be, it doesn't have to be a, a shy rare animal just get some 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 feeling for cameras I also find it good for learning really to watch good Hollywood movies. I think I learned a lot about panning and, and camera movements or watching good good Hollywood cinema movies. And of course, not to forget, ne, you have to carry a 25, 30 kilograms backpack for many kilometers, off-road, mountains, wherever. Ne? You have to be able to carry gear. That's And the other thing is really to have an open eye. No, it is this is what I really worked as a camera assistant in feature film. No, um, they really told me to be a good assistant. No, don't wait until someone is asking you to do something because then you are late. No, always try to anticipate no, what does the cameraman needs next. It's kind of the same with animal behavior. You always have to say, okay, what will my animal I'm filming, what will it do next? No? It's will it going left or right? Will it jump now or will it just sleep? Or no? It's always about anticipating what is coming next. It's wildlife filming, it's with spinning, it's with following animals, and it's also with helping maybe the cameraman or no, always try to think, okay, where can I make how, where does it need a hand? Uh, 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 maybe battery batteries have to be charged, or, or you know, what else can be you know, done for the next next shooting day? You know, always, you know, use your head, use your eyes. So, what's next for you, Ivo? I, I know this has been an incredibly trying year for everybody. Uh, you know, in the wildlife filmmaking industry. Uh, and it really in every industry, things have been cancelled and put on hold. Um, how has it affected you? What, where do you head next? I should go to China in April, uh, but unfortunately, we don't get a visa for China. So, it so it looks if I go to uh, to Switzerland, that seems to be easier. I I I just got just. A, just 10 minutes ago, I got another email asking me if I can go to Namibia, maybe. Um, as another shoot, also waiting for visa. Um, 
Ja, der, der ist, der ist some, 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 some work waiting uh, for me, but it's all depending on ne? entry visa in, in the moment. It's definitely the most tricky time I've ever been in. Ne? But okay, but this is COVID. This is, this is, uh, yeah, that's a pandemic. No, that's something else <laughs> than normal, normal problems. So, Ivo, where can people find you if they want to follow what you're doing, oh, yes. uh, see <laughs> the films that you've made, and just find out information about where you are and what, you, what you're up to? Where can they find you online? Yes, either I, I, I just deleted my Facebook account a week ago. I was really fed up with too many commercials, either an advertisement all over over the place and uh, to say the truth the people uh, share too much unimportant stuff on facebook it's just you have to go to too much ways to find the useful information but i am on instagram still so you can follow me on instagram and i also have my own web page ne? uh, evo or ivowildlife.com so just ne, my first name wildlife in one word com so you can and there's also a button to my instagram account and you can see and, and, and there are a lot of nice pictures also behind the scenes pictures so you can see something yeah when i'm on work i've 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 just realized uh, is your name pronounced ivo or evo because i realized that I've been saying Ivo all the way through this uh, interview, and you've just said Evo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. That's, of course, very common. I, mean, I work nowadays mostly for Netflix and BBC. And, of course, in English, you pronounce an E like an I, and an I like an E in German. or It's the other way around. Um, but, yeah, but, but originally it is pronounced Evo. Well, well, sorry for that. And uh, and thank you, Evo, for spending the time on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks so much that I had the opportunity to talk to you. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, then please leave a rating and a comment. And remember to subscribe to keep up to date with the series' future episodes. You can find out more information about wildlife filming at jakewillers.com. And if you're interested in starting a career in the wildlife filmmaking industry or being mentored to further your career, then please visit jakewillers.com forward slash mentorship. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.